0: One of my friends asked, if there was one thing that you could do for the rest of your life, what would that one thing be? And I told him that I would explore the world in the most unconventional ways and uh, learn from what I've seen and share that with the the rest of the world.
1: Welcome to Cross Pollination, a show about creativity, innovation, and doing things differently. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, on Cross Pollination's first show of a new decade, we kick off the traditional season of resolutions and new projects with Mario Rigby, who chats with us on the theme of dreaming big and going after big adventures. If you thought exploration meant sailing off the edge of the map and getting scurvy, you're in for something new. Mario is a Canadian explorer, an MEC adventure ambassador, and a cultural cross pollinator who's brought an international background to Canada and who's now bringing Canada to the world. Mario's never lost a childhood zeal for adventure. He tells us about his journey by foot up the eastern length of Africa and about biking across Canada. This from a man who hadn't previously rode further than 10 kilometers at a time. In 2020, Mario is on to more big Canadian and international adventures and he'll tell us about those too. We hope this makes you want to take a wander out of your comfort zone and create your own cross-pollinating adventures, big or small.
0: Born in the Turks and Caicos Islands, and um, as you know, it's a you know very small set of islands with a population of thirty-five thousand people. And um, you know, as soon as I was born, um, you know, we moved to Germany uh, with my stepfather at the time, and we lived in Germany for about a decade, and. Um, that was kind of the beginning of our lives. And so we, we only understood German culture. And, you know, we, as you know, Germany is very um, keen on educating people in the outdoors from a very early age. So we did a lot of like hiking and um, tree planting um, yes. or playing in the forest. Um, in fact, uh, before you go to kindergarten, you, you know, you play in forest. And so they encourage children to. To, um, to do those kinds of things. Um, so that was like the first 10 years of my life. And then after that, we moved back to Turks and Caicos Islands. I was about um, 10, turning 11. And, uh, you know, then we lived there for about five or six years. And then after that, we moved to Canada. And, um, well, before I go to Canada, you know, living in Turks and Caicos was quite a, an interesting experience because, we still loved the outdoors, but it was it was quite different in the sense that we weren't in forests or or winters um, or skiing down slopes. Um, we were more kind of kids that were in a tropical setting. So we would say, for instance, let's let's go down to the cave, and um, me, and my friends would on the weekends go down there and we would spend two days there. You're not even telling our parents where we're going. And we would essentially just go fishing and, you know, camping. We didn't call it camping at the time. We just kind of called it going to the caves. And then there weren't any other words to describe what we were doing. This is only a concept I learned when I moved to Canada. Um, And I feel like um, uh, a lot of uh, Caribbean cultures and, and African cultures, we don't we have names for these things, but we don't necessarily put importance on um, on the names we just, the, the importance is more on what we're about to do. so you know there were even times where we would go hiking um, or again we would call it walking <laughs> um, just to basically look for fruit. so we would go around the island looking for fruit so that we can collect it and make um, make uh, fruit bread or fruit salads and things like that. So, you know, there was a lot of adventure uh, as a kid growing up, living in Germany and living in the Caribbean. And I think that was something that kind of fueled my interest as well. And I believe also my stepfather was a big influence in introducing me to adventure. You know, he would always show us pictures of him uh, kind of like skiing down the... Uh, the desert slopes in um, or the desert dunes in in Morocco or him kind of wrestling an alligator there's a picture of him on top of an alligator um, or riding motorcycles through the countries in foreign lands and so you would see all these things and that's kind of what your race up um, thinking is is quite normal you know so adventure becomes essentially just a part of your life, of your everyday life. And that was really exciting. Um, and then we moved to Canada, and I, I believe a lot of the adventures kind of stopped happening um, for quite a while. Uh, I think it's mainly because we moved into the into a big city, uh, and also because the criteria to get into the outdoors and adventure was a little bit more complicated uh more expensive and you know you needed to kind of drive to get out and all that kind of stuff and for a lot of um immigrants that you know it, it wasn't as easy as it used to be because a lot of um immigrants would probably come from either rural areas or from the caribbean or, or different parts of of the world where they have more access to um immediate nature so you know we were kind of um isolated in in, in the city in that kind of sense. So that kind of sparked a new kind of adventure, which was like that kind of inner city, um, urban adventure, which is more like, uh, I would say like getting, like knowing more people, more diverse groups of people. And you're kind of forced to be social in that sense, which was a good lesson to have because these are the lessons that would kind of lead me into, um, well, essentially, it would be one of the greatest hikes um, that anyone could ever do.
1: Just before we get to that great hike, This episode is brought to you by Inventures. You can hike down to Calgary June 3rd to 5th to join 4,000 plus creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation brought to you by Alberta Innovates. Here are more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, including Innovation of Work. Inventures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capital, angel investors, service providers, thought leaders, and there's also an education track for students. Tickets are $2.99 if you buy before the end of January. And if you're a student, you can get an early bird ticket for $99. Get your tickets today at inventurescanada.com. That's I-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, inventurescanada.com. After eventually getting comfortable and settling into Toronto, what made Mario want to leap up and make himself very uncomfortable trying something new and massively different?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I tried to um, play up the the city life for um, as long as I could, until it drove me crazy. Um, and for the longest time, I didn't understand why it drove me crazy. until I would say um, until around 2010, 2011, I started to contemplate a lot about what is it that I'm really um, interested in and what is, what is like what is really important to me. And, you know, I, you know, I started looking back at uh, all these different things. And, of course, it always went back to uh, adventure. You know, one of my friends asked, you know, what the, if there was one thing that you could do um, for the rest of your life, what would that one thing be? And I told him that I would explore the world in the most unconventional ways and uh, learn from what I've seen and share that with the, with the rest of the world. So you know those are the three things um combined together that I would consider um one of my deepest um my deepest uh, loves really it's uh in a sense kind of my purpose um which is to to share to share knowledge um but my passions are more about how I share that knowledge um which can come in many different forms which could be like exploring filmmaking um or you know doing talks and things like that so so those are my passions and then my purpose is like kind of that nucleus which is the 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 sharing of the knowledge of of the things that um i i experience basically uh seeing truths in a sense
1: Mario's tapped into a fairly new and now well-recognized idea. Not to just blindly follow your passions in life, but dig into what motivates you deeply, the things that give you purpose. In his case, it led him halfway around the world and on a trip that lasted for two and a half years. Lots of people are inspired to see travel and work in different regions in Africa, and their reasons range from ancient history to old-school wildlife documentaries, culture, dramatic landscapes. In his case, it started with the love of a comic series that's now become a hit movie set in the fictional and powerful kingdom of Wakanda.
0: Crossing Africa was inspired by many, many different things. But, you know, before the movie Black Panther came out, um, I was actually a huge fan of the Black Panther before it even became um, a film. Uh, in fact, when the film, uh, in fact, when I, when it came out, I was uh, I was walking across the desert and I didn't even know it was out. And a lot of my friends who knew that I was so into it suddenly you know, were were messaging me like crazy. They were saying, "Hey, there's that, that movie that you keep talking about that no one watches is out now, <laughs> um, and it's a big and it's a big hit." And you know uh, the way I saw it was when I was a kid. Me and my brother, we we would watch the Black Panther, and there was there was this one episode where um, uh, the King of Wakanda um, had to walk across Africa. Well, he decided to walk across Africa, actually. And the whole episode was about it, where he essentially went through all these different adventures met the girl of his dreams, um, the love of his life. And, um, you know, he got robbed. He saw beautiful uh, sceneries. And the person who robbed him actually was the love of his life for the first time. He didn't know who she was. And, um, you know, and, and he really saw Africa in the way that um, you should see your continent if you're going to be the ruler of the most powerful um, Country in the world. So he went on this journey. And that really inspired me to think about, you know, um, where rest- Western civilization is going in terms of um, uh, understanding how the world really works and, you know, how we're connected in the world. And um, I, f- I believe that this voyage that he went on is one of the most um, common kind of. Practices that you can do in Africa, um, which is the coming of age, right? So there's a lot of tribes all throughout Africa that do this actually quite naturally, where they um, they go off, like the Maasai tribe, or the Tukana tribe people, or the um, Samburu tribe, and in, in Kenya, Ethiopia, and, and um, Tanzania, they they do this before they become men. Um, they go on a on a on a journey to. To um, find themselves to become to become um, men and warriors, so you know T'Challa did the same thing, and um, so that inspired me really to to seek wisdom and knowledge, not just from Africa, but you know to seek it in a way that I can share with the rest of the world, in a sense. Um, but it's only the beginning. The same way that with um, with T'Challa, it was just the beginning, right? To, to understand his continent, his home. And then the story begins from there. And so I feel the same way. So I'm just walking across Africa it was just a lesson. And the um, I would say my, uh, my education, in a sense. And now I'm in the field and I have to produce the work.
1: Mario's real life story landed him first in South Africa, with the plan to walk and keep walking all the way north, right up into Egypt. Along the way, he got to see a huge range of regions, landscapes, countries, and meet people with a fantastic range of languages, cultures, and amazing histories.
0: Yeah, I started um, in South Africa, Cape Town. I actually flew in uh, right on my birthday, so it was, uh, it was my birthday when I, uh, when I arrived. I turned 30 that year and you know, it was um, basically when I, when I landed, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to actually walk the, the entire route of, of Africa, especially even South Africa. I didn't know if I was going to hug the coast or stay close. Um, uh, sort of stay nearby the coast. You know, I, I wasn't quite sure, but you know, it, and, but, what I decided on was I wanted a real adventure. I wanted something genuine and um, something difficult and something that very few people have done. I wanted to walk on land that, that maybe very few humans have, have walked on. And you know the ones who have walked on it are, are the indigenous people. And so I decided to essentially stay along um, the entire coastline of South Africa which is one of the reasons why South Africa was actually the longest um, a country that I walked. It took me about five months to walk um, uh, the entire country from Cape Town all the way to um, the border of Mozambique. And I would say that that was probably one of the, the roughest and craziest experiences that you can imagine. Um, I had to cross dozens of rivers Um, These rivers are some of the most dangerous rivers on the planet where, you know, um, some of them are even uh, kind of like coming down as waterfalls off of, you know, 100 foot or or hundreds of feet up from from, uh, these massive cliffs that go into the ocean. And being able to see that was one of the most spectacular things um, that I've ever seen. Uh, getting nearly bit by snakes and um, you know suffering on the beaches. I call it the beach trap, which is essentially when you when you're walking along the beaches and you've gone about 50 to 70 kilometers and you have another 100 kilometers to go, but you know you're in trouble if you run out of water because you have no place to go. You can't go into the into the water and you can't go inland because. It's just so rough of the bushes and it's just another, it's hundreds of kilometers until there's a road. So you're essentially stuck on the, on the beach. And that was probably the most isolated I've ever felt because there's this constant um, a sound of the ocean or the waves. And it's just like repetitive for, for days and days, sometimes weeks. Um, or days where you just don't even open your mouth for more than uh, more than a week and the only thing that opens your mouth is for food water and if you're gasping for air um, and then I started to hug as much as I can the coast of uh, Mozambique until eventually I started to go inland um, uh, although yeah and then I think my my coastal, my coastal walks ended around um yeah around Mozambique where I then eventually entered into Malawi and Malawi is surrounded it's a basically landlocked country so it was the first time I just essentially was um in the uh, away from the ocean but I was still surrounded by water because that's when I decided to actually instead of continuing to walk Malawi I, I wanted to kayak this lake that they have which is um parallel to the direction I needed to go, which is around 550 kilometers long. And so I thought this is a perfect uh, perfect plan to to kayak the entire lake. And, you know, so again, that built up more adventure, that built up more experience, and getting to see more remote tribes in, in those regions, that was really one of my favorite parts, actually, because I was really going into... Um, indigenous places where children have never seen foreigners before and when they saw me it was quite surprising because you know foreigners have always been uh, told to be Muzungu, which is uh you know their term for uh, a white man or white person but essentially means the, the the traveler um and so Kind of, I would say that Malawi was uh, was special in that sense, and I've never kayaked before in my life, so that was a, a learning lesson as well. That I probably I wouldn't do it that way again, but <laughs> that was definitely a very hard lesson to um, uh, to understand um, going into those those areas. And um, you know, if you play the wrong move, if you if you deal with the wrong cards, then you know, there could be massive consequences. Uh, which had happened to me where my kayak sank sank a couple of times. I was arrested numerous times just because I'm on land property that I shouldn't have been on or people being suspicious of me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and then I kind of just uh, zipped through the rest of um, the eastern um, countries, so Tanzania, Kenya, um and those were very interesting, so it became a little bit more safari land. So as I was going through Africa, I'm essentially going through all the um, the different seasons, the monsoon seasons, uh, the, you know, desert, winter, um, the heat waves, it was pretty much everything that you can imagine I went through. Um, even going through Ethiopia, actually, after Kenya. Um, I remember just before I got to Ethiopia in Masabit, Kenya, it was... Really hot weather, just desert, um, desert heat, just kind of like baking on you, and then all of a sudden you get to the um, to to the to the mountains of of Ethiopia, and it becomes incredibly cold. So you have to wear a jacket, and I was ill prepared for that. So there was all these different climates that I had to deal with, um, going from the hottest temperatures to uh, pretty much um, the springtime weather that we get here in, in Canada, uh, well, in in, in uh, Toronto, and so that was a pretty big change. And um, after Ethiopia, then eventually going into Sudan, and Sudan was quite interesting because it wasn't just about, you know, that's when I really got into the the white desert scenario where it was just like properly. One of the largest deserts in the world it started to connect with the largest desert in the world, which is the Sahara desert. but what I one thing i I did not expect from um, Sudan was the hospitality that you get there. The people were so incredible. Um, I'm still in contact with most of them. in fact, Sudan was probably the most hospitable place I've ever been in my life and um, it was also a culture shock because I've never been to um a Muslim country before and you know it's funny that the first Muslim country you go to is uh, Sharia law and so I really learned a lot from there. Um, I actually stayed quite a long time uh, in Sudan uh, one because I was injured and I needed recovery and two because um They just did not want to let me go and I didn't want to leave. So, you know, I really built um, some really strong, lasting friendships there. Um, There are even two people that I met there that now live in Toronto. So um, it was quite special. Um, And then uh, leading to my final uh, country, which was uh, Egypt, Uh, again, was a different, beautiful experience where now I'm Part of this ancient uh, civilization that's been around for over four thousand years, and um, you know, I was able to to be to participate in, um, in uh, or or actually a better set because um, I didn't really do anything, but I stayed with uh, people that were at um, excavation sites, were uh, so archaeological sites where people would um, basically. Used uh, um, uh, brushes to to like dust rocks to see you know um, ancient uh, empires or civilizations that have existed for over three thousand years, and I was able to to see how that how one civilization was basically stacked on top of another. So one could be 4,000 years old, the other one is 2,000 years old, the other one is 1,000 years old. And you could see just like empires stacked on top of each other. And, and you know, being at this archaeological site, I was able to like literally see that with my own two eyes. And, um, you know, I was able to even, uh, there was this one mummy that was just kind of like spread on the table that they literally just had taken out of the ground. And, um, you know, they said, Yeah, this is your one and only chance to ever touch and hold up a mummy. So if you want to, you can go ahead. So I did. And um, something so special about what we as humans have done uh, so long ago um, can still have lasting uh, effects today. Um, But yeah, so Egypt was quite special and spectacular because of the, the, the history that was there. But I would say it was... I would say it was a lot easier because of the River Nile. So the River Nile has been, for, it's been around um, for essentially forever, and it's kind of what kind of started human civilization or, or leapfrogged human civilization. And I was able to basically trace my route from the River Nile all the way um, to Cairo, where essentially I ended my, um, my walk
1: In case you ever find yourself on the verge of mummification and need help, here's a quick message from HS, the Provincial Health Service, to let you know how they can help. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options.
0: I'd definitely go to emergency if I broke my arm. If you stopped breathing or something's really wrong. If you
1: had a cold, you should probably just go to a doctor and not into the emergency. Or clinic. If you have an emergency, we're here to help. If it's not an emergency, you have options. Take control of your health. Call 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. Back to our story. I asked Mario what surprised him most in his travels that he didn't know beforehand. Care for others, hospitality, safety, and creativity were among his thoughts. He mentioned specifically the concept Ubuntu, which in this case is not the Linux operating system, but a Zulu word that describes a philosophy in relating to other people and a common sense of humanity.
0: Mm -hmm. I would say it's uh, the safety. Um, I would say it's how safe the the general public are and the fact that, you know, African people are just incredibly kind. They're so... um, They're so sweet to um, each other. They, you know, believe in this um, uh, philosophy called Ubuntu, which you might be familiar with. It's kind of abundant throughout Africa, actually. So it's not isolated in one place. And um, no matter where you go, uh, the public won't let anything really bad happen to you because people take ownership um, of, 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 you know, of, of let's say you're suffering or, or themselves taking care of you. Um, it's not like in North America where if we see someone getting injured, I forgot that term. This is a psychological term when you just kind of watch someone suffering uh, when they're in an accident or something, um, bystander um, syndrome or something. And so they don't seem to have that over there. If they see you... Uh, tripping or you know you twist your ankle um, you know like everyone comes up to you and, and tries to make sure that you're okay and so that's the experience that I've had there um, I would say that Africa has this rawness that's unique um, in the world and that rawness is reality which is you know if if someone if someone likes you or is fond of you, then you know that they're fond of you. If someone doesn't like you, then, you know, they, they, you'll know that too. But in the most endearing way, they'll tell you um, with love that what you're doing is wrong. You know, uh, it's, it's quite incredible. Um, and I would say also the hospitality that I receive, especially in, um, in Sudan. Um, I received a lot of hospitality in Ethiopia as well. Um, such incredible human beings. Um, I learned so much from them. I would say the other thing that I was really surprised about was how much I learned um, about the world in 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 this like in this eastern part of the continent.
1: One of the ways modern creativity is emerging in different parts of Africa today are many tech and entrepreneurial ventures arising in regional centres as often young people take on challenges, from supplying energy through new business models to digital finance and health, agriculture and education. We'll hear a bit more about that later this season. Mario, meanwhile, also has some big Canadian adventures under his belt and more coming up. This past summer, he biked through all 10 provinces, encountering grand mountains, flat prairies, big and small cities, coast, lots of forest, and of course, all unofficially bilingual English, French, and more. I asked him about the toughest and best parts of that trip.
0: Um, okay. So definitely the beginning because a, I've never done a biking tour before, never biked for more than 10 kilometers before in my life. And I decided to, uh, start in BC for some reason and, uh, So I'm climbing up these, uh, literally mountains (laughs) and that, that definitely, uh, really, um, kicked my butt big time. I learned, um, the lesson of, uh, of, of getting a lot stronger. (laughs) So I exponentially became stronger because of BC and that that made the rest of my trip, um, doable. (laughs) But, um, I didn't think it was going to be that tough, but you know, it definitely, um, it definitely was. Yeah, so I started there, and uh, my favorite part was definitely the end, <laughs> um, in um, in uh, in Newfoundland, very beautiful uh, land. But I would say Saint John is Saint is uh, also a very um, incredible place, um, very hospitable people. Um, and I would say, like in the middle part of Canada, I really got to um, I got to meet a lot of the. Indigenous people, and, um, you know, I even did a, a few videos uh, capturing their stories and, and, you know, where they're coming from and, you know, where, where are they going with, with, with uh, what's happening with them at the moment. So I got to really learn about all aspects of Canada.
1: That brings us to some of his upcoming projects.
0: I'm planning on doing, uh, uh, it's just a, a small expedition, but it's, I think, a, a very important one. Where I'd like to shoot film of the impact of climate change um, in regards to indigenous people living in the north um, in the Nunavut area. So, so that's um, that's something in, in the works for for July 2020. Um, and then, of course, there's the the big adventure to go back to Africa. Um, uh, focusing on sustainable and renewable energy, um, particularly in transportation in, um, in all of Africa. And we'll be touching base in uh, 36 countries.
1: So Mario's continuing with new adventures that cross-pollinate cultures and regions. With so many interesting places in the world, I asked what keeps him coming back to Canada and a home base in Toronto.
0: I would say that um, Toronto is definitely, I would say, to me, one of my favorite cities in the world. And, you know, I've been to a lot of places in the world, but Toronto is a very kind of, I would say, easygoing big city. And it allows flexibility for you to um, to meet all cultures from around the world. And, um, you know, it's not as aggressive as like, say, New York City or anything like that, but it has a lot of uh, innovation and there's a lot of um, drive for, for people to, to try out new things. And so I would say that uh, Toronto has, that, has that, um, that beautiful aspect of it. Um, and Canada, of course, is, is definitely one of the most beautiful um, countries in the world. I mean, I've just recently come off, um, uh, just completed a biking tour, uh, which I did um, unsupported and solo across Canada. So I cycled from, um, from Victoria all the way to St. John's, Newfoundland. And I really learned a lot about the the Canadian landscape there. That was incredible.
1: And what's his final word on creating big dreams and big projects? It comes back to purpose with a dash of courage, finding and walking your own adventurous path.
0: Yeah, I would say it takes courage. Um, and that courage means leaving behind the 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 cushion of that safe nine to five job or that security pension that you have. Um, it means really um, disregarding, in a sense, you know the, the the things that you've been taught in school, in university, and you're kind of having to to do your own thing. Because, you know, sadly, our institutions don't really provide us with um, with many tools or economic benefits in helping um, our civilization. Um, it has tools for helping us grow our economy, but, you know, uh, it doesn't necessarily help us with, like, you know, fighting um fighting poverty or homelessness or or famine or you know wars against each other you know these are the these are like the actual base layer problems and for some reason base layer problems aren't really something that that we tend to teach in school we you know like if you go into politics and stuff like that you might hear about some lessons that you'll learn on uh, you know how to how to trick people to listen to you with your ideas. But um, beyond that, um, I think we need to um, have more brave people on this planet and, and to do the things that you do that you're incredibly passionate about takes a lot of courage because um, you know, for the longest time I didn't really believe in myself. I didn't really think that I can do these things. And I think a lot of people feel the same way too. They feel like, you know who am I? I'm just a pod in this, in this, this vast ocean. Taking a leap of faith, really, and a lot of the people that I've met, who are also in the same kind of game, also took a leap of faith. Um, there are some lucky ones who, whose parents and whose lives, you know, they've kind of been built that way, and you know that that's uh, that's that's always uh, important as well, but you know, a lot of people just, you kind of have to just do it. And, and to do that, you have to really appreciate yourself. You have to love yourself, um, uh, inherently like, like in the, in the, in the the most raw way. And self-love means a reality check. That means, you know, what am I really doing? What am I contributing back to society? Am I really happy? Or am I just, Am I just uh, pretending to be happy because this is what society told me or my parents or my best friends or my lover told me that uh, this is why I should be happy? Um, so self-love is really um, understanding where you stand and you know how true are you being to yourself. So um, if you can tackle th- those, then uh, the next step would be to, to take that leap of faith and, um, you know, do it at any cost. It's going to be difficult. Uh, there will be financial setbacks. There will be um, uh, discomforts that you'll have. There will be major risks. Um, but anyone, if you can ask anyone, they would never um, take it back. They would never regret what they do.
1: I hope you enjoyed this New Decade episode on big dreams and big adventures that cross-pollinate the world. If you'd like to know more about Mario's work and projects, you can find him at MarioRigby.com and at MarioRigby on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can drop us a line at Paulinata1, also on Twitter. And of course, we always appreciate you sharing this podcast with anyone else you think might enjoy it too. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Zapsplat.com for sound effects. See you next time.